Well, we're back. We missed last Sunday, and um, we did miss you. We didn't end up going out of town after all and go fishing and do the things that we wanted to do. We got to do some other things we wanted to do, and that was nothing. And, uh, and it was a good time of nothing because it's never nothing, and that's a double negative, but it's, it's, it, for me, was a time just to refocus. And it was very nice to be able to just, as you guys were in church on Sunday, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about the church, and, and really wanted to know God's thoughts about the church. And sometimes I get so caught up, and maybe you can uh, feel the same way about yourself, but I get so caught up in accomplishing the things that I feel like the Lord wants to do that sometimes I forget to stop and say, am I still doing the things you want me to do? And so that's what last week was for me. It was an awesome time to say, God, is this still what you want? Are we, am I still on track? Did I deviate? Did I get off track along the way? And so it was an awesome time to refocus. I was reminded about th- of a time about three, three and a half years ago that something, and God speaks to me this way. He'll, he'll give me a, a meme, a phrase, something that I can hang on to and chew on for weeks on end, and, and, then, and then as it really kind of settles and goes deep into my soul, he'll give me something else to put in there, and then, then something else, and then something else. And this was, uh, Doug, New Testament church is, a, is to be a functional family church in a dysfunctional family community. Now, that's not, the words function and dysfunction, those, don't, those aren't happy-go-lucky terms. I mean, those aren't something that are too catchy. But for me, that's something that went deep within me and says, okay, Doug, how are you going to help lead a church to be functional in family and to be a functional family? Because there's a lot of family that's dysfunctional and that's hurting and, and really just doesn't know what it's like to be free as a functional family. So, so that was one of the refocused times for me. And, and what are we doing in that? And, and of course, as you saw earlier, children are a big part of that. And we aren't... Um, We aren't called to come to church on Sundays just for ourselves alone. We're called to come and be a part of the family. We're to be the church all week long. And this is our time to come together and fellowship together and spend time together and enjoy each other's company. And hopefully you got a chance to do that today. And, and we want to do some more of that even after service today. And, and so um, I've got an empty promise for you, and that is I'm going to try to keep it short so we can have time to go out and do that. But that is um, our focus this summer. But how do we become a functional family? How do we, well, we can't do that on our own. But what happens inside a functional family? We can become a functional family with Christ, but what happens inside of that functional family place is memories are made. I was thinking about what are some memories that I remember, things that I recall from being a child. And I have a lot of a lot of fond memories. I was, I, I thank God because uh, I believe everything that um, is good has been ordained by Him, has been established by Him. And one of the good things that I have experienced in my life is I've had a lot of grandparents in my life. And, and not everybody can say that, and I realize that. And I, and I still have a grandmother, and pray for her, Grandma Opal. She broke some ribs, and she's not doing, not feeling so hot right now. She's not feeling as young as she acts. <laughs> and, uh, but I've had a lot of grandparents in my life. 
And in that, I've been, they were Christian-believing grandparents, and I really felt like that they poured into my life. For Dougie, no. They gave me a tremendous amount of memories, and they poured into my life and gave me what I would call heritage, not for me to hold on to, but for me to give out. And so then I was challenged as I was contemplating that this last week is, while I have had lots of opportunity, and then it was like a punch in the stomach, it was like, yeah, but with that, you have a tremendous amount of responsibility. And so I want to help you all experience what I got to experience, not so you can keep it, but so we can give it. Give these tremendous amount of experiences, these awesome experiences, to others. And I want to start with our children. I want to see our children raised up in such a way that they are on fire. We have about 10 weeks, eight eight to 10 weeks before school starts again. And what's going to happen when they go back to school? Some are like, yeah, I can't wait till school starts, and it's only been like a day. But school's coming. And we sang that song about being an army. They're in an army rising up in our children. They're not to be discounted. Proverbs 10.7. Here's a couple texts I want to give you that will kind of carry us through the summer. Proverbs 10.7 says this. We have happy memories of the godly, but the name of a wicked person rots away. Why is that an important verse? It's the godly memories that we help create for you and I and for our children that will remain. It's the bad ones that will pass away. That's a good one because, especially for a preacher at times, because we talk a lot. And some of the things we say, believe it or not, our, are us, and sometimes they're not us. They are actually the Holy Spirit and God. That's what they ought to be. My prayer is always this, God, may the godly memories remain, and may the things I create pass away. And, but that's also true in how we interact with our children. I don't know about you who are parents or grandparents, but how many times have you felt like you've made mistakes? Well, guess what's going to happen is the godly things will remain, and the rotten ones will pass away. Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10, and really in verse 9, it says this, But watch out, be careful, never to forget what you yourselves have seen. This is Moses telling his, the people of Israel, and this is really this next generation that was getting ready to enter into the promised land. And he was reminding them of all the things that they saw God do, all the positive things that God had done in their lives while they wandered in this ugly place called the wilderness. And he says, but watch out, be careful, never to forget what you yourselves have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live, and they will teach their children to fear me also. And that's not to be scared of him. That's to completely understand and respect the power of God. Not to run in fear and hide and and be scared of him. That's not. It's to completely respect how awesome he is. 
when I was a child, one memory that came to mind, and it's a fresh one because I need to do this. He had a, my grandpa Adrian had a little pickup truck that he was going to buy, and it was kind of like flipping a car. Instead of flipping a house, he wanted to flip this little pickup truck. He was going to buy this little truck, fix it up, and sell it. But it needed new brakes, and so he showed me how to fix the brakes on a truck. And I was only probably around 14 years of age. And I remember sitting there in the driveway and, and the tremendous amount of patience it must have taken of, for him to help do this job because he wanted me to take the lug nuts off the wheel and he wanted me to, to try to wrestle the wheel off of the studs and he wanted me to kind of loosen the brakes and get the brake pads. And, and, and he got to, I got to spend time developing this memory. I have to do this to my truck too. So, so now I'm thinking about what I learned back then. And what's interesting about some of the memories that were given to me as a child and that you have the opportunity to give to children today or others in your lives is that memory I'm able to reach back and grab and bring into today and apply it to where I'm at in my life. Now, that's a real practical memory. There's another memory that, that I have as a, as a young man and, and we as a church, before church would start, we would have what we pr- call pre-service prayer. And, and we've done it in different rooms of the building, but one room we used to do it in was the sanctuary. That's a great place for prayer. So we had pre-service prayer in the sanctuary. And, and at the time, um, I'm going to talk about memories. You guys have heard about this, but if you haven't and you're new today, welcome, first of all. You're very welcome, and we're glad you're here with us. Um, our sanctuary, that two-story part of the building didn't exist. That was parking. And the, and the platform was at that end of the room. It was a smaller sanctuary, and we'd gather around the altar, and we'd pray before church started. And, and what did I want to do? I wanted to be out running around with my buddies. And, uh, but I had a loving father that said, no, Doug, you will be with me in prayer. Because he was a loving father, and he truly cared. And, and uh, I didn't understand that at the time, right? Yes, you'll thank, you'll thank me one day, I'm sure is. Uh, but I remember having to be by his side at the altar during this time of prayer. So after the, the, the will of a rebellious child was finally um, bored enough that it felt like it must just give in to something, I decided I would pray. But then I, I, I got to a place where I was like, this tension, well, I, I don't know how to pray. Oh, he's praying. Let me listen to how he's praying. And so I would start to listen to how he would pray. And, and then I would just start copying, mimicking, imitating my father. Which is interesting because that's a memory. When I reach back and I think about praying today, my first memory about praying was really one of imitating my father that I can reach back and grab in the past and bring into today. Now, my prayer life has changed. It's become more of a personal thing between me and my heavenly Father. But that was a memory that I've been able to uh, stand on. See, memories aren't just fleeting things. Godly memories remain. And there's the, those are the foundational things that we stand upon when we go into the future. I've heard so many stories of people that have come back after maybe they've struggled some in life. And the reason they've come back to the place they called home church is because of the fond memory and foundational truths and love that they experienced when they were here. 
And, and it's the one thing they knew they could count on. And they, there's this thought, if I can just get back to the foundational truth, I can start building my life back again to the way it needs to be built. And, there, and that's, that's why we are here. Sometimes we have to be the port in the storm, but we also need people that will work at the port. And that's what I pray you and I will do together is we'll become this lighthouse, this port, this place where people will come and find foundational truths and love memories that will last for eternity. How do we, how do we act? How should we act if we're working here, if we're living out life here at this church? Well, it, our church should be very much similar to every other church that you encounter. It should be full of people that love one another and are serving one another. What's that look like? Well, it looks like accepting one another, caring, having empathy. How do I know that? Because when I see a child, what do I see? I see that. I, I've had uh, in the last uh, week or so, I told my wife, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's age or what, but I'm finding myself um, becoming more and more emotional and tearing up. And, and I was at a graduation yesterday, and I was listening to some of the speeches. And as I'm listening to speeches, I have tears running down my eyes. And, and I'm thinking, <laughs> but it's so awesome to see the lives of people. Did you hear what I said? It's, it's awesome to see the lives of people. Not the surface junk, not the critical things. Look at the life of a person. He died on the cross so that we might have life. Not just any life, but life more abundant. But I was watching these young people graduating high school, and, and uh, part of me, my heart broke because I don't want them to lose innocence. Because it's, in some ways, I feel like as an adult, we tend to. Let me read the scripture, and I'll tell you, it'll make more sense what I'm saying. Matthew 8, and I'll read the whole passage, verse 1 through 10. If you want to turn in your Bibles, please do so. This is the New Living Translation, and it may not be exactly what you have. It says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. That's harsh. Unless you become like a child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. This, is, this could be a finger-wagging message where it says, unless you will humble yourself and become like a child, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Even if you've accepted the Lord and prayed the sinner's prayer, is that the question? What's it mean? What's it mean to become like a child? Let me go on and read. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. 
But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus talking. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if you're, and and listen to this, I, I like how direct Scripture can be. So if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter into eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter into eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. I remember a story of, I've heard a couple stories, and the one story I recall is there was a young child and they were virtually alone in the world and they were being passed around from foster to foster and but they always had this what some would deem was an imaginary friend but this imaginary friend was I believe that angel that was right at the throne of heaven I believe that God cares for our children so much that he takes special care of our children. I also believe that we as grown children are given a responsibility to care for our children in such a way that leads them to a closer relationship with Christ. And that if we don't take that and own that and hold on to that as our, our, one of our primary causes in life, then we potentially are becoming a stumbling block or, or, an, or are leading them astray. Today, and, and, and I know it's summertime, and I know you have vacations planned, and go and create memories and make sure they're godly memories for you and your family and your friends. But I also know that anymore, the, having your families in church is a difficult thing. Because we so much want to do the popular, common thing. There's a real challenge that... I'm going to get real preachy, and I don't want to offend, but I I don't want this. I don't want us to uh, be politically correct and then watch our children wander away. The place to have your children at least once a week is in a church event where they're learning the ways of the Lord and they're learning how much they're loved by God. Wanda told me the story today of, of uh, Marcus who prayed for us before they went out earlier and, and how he had gone on a field trip and there was a wishing well and somebody was saying, make a wish, you know, go over to the wishing well and make a wish. And what did Marcus do? Because the thing I love about Marcus and, and even with, I, here's what I love about Marcus, his innocence. And he has Down syndrome, we know that, but I learned so much from him. He is so real and he's so innocent and he's so joyful. He's still not happy about me breaking that mirror two weeks ago. But, but other than that, he's, we're still on good terms. And, and 
So he goes to the well, and as he walks over to the well, he, he doesn't wish he folds his hands and he prays. Because the truth is, he knows that God answers prayer. And I don't need to wish on whatever the stone hole is in the ground. I can wish and pray. That's the truth that we find in a child. We're to come to him as children. And then we're to lead our children to continue to keep them innocent. If you can't lead them well because of baggage that you have, whether it be your hand, your foot, or your eye, cut it off. Put it behind you. There's a... uh, There's one of our local politicians that's really been um, an advocate for foster children and and just protecting them. And I had a conversation with him and and about it. And he's got his view of it, but here's what I he's really troubled that today our foster children are being failed. And, and I didn't intend to go here today. But what our foster children really need is they need to be adopted by people that truly know how to love. And my fear is, is that there's a lot of foster children out there being adopted by people that don't maybe know true love. You know true love. I just saw recently on Facebook, because that's local news, that uh, a family we know, they're, they're empty nesters, and what are they doing? They're adopting a baby. Now, I haven't even said anything to Dina about it, because I already know kind of the answer, but we're not at the empty nest stage yet. Selah, think about it. How can you be used by God? You can be used by God by ministering to children. I, on a practical note, you can be used by God to minister to children here in this church. We've shut down the children's classroom for the most part this summer because we really want to reset it, remodel it, fix it up for our kids and be intentional about them coming to church to encounter His presence so their lives are changed for eternity. We want them to discover the reality of God's love. We want to develop them to have personal relationship with Jesus Christ and His church. And we want them to demonstrate now, not when they're older, but now their God-given purposes in life. So we're very intentional about that. If you want to pour into the life of a child, ask me how you can do it. And it might be as simple as just helping them up the stairs in the morning. But God has called us to serve, not to sit. And we have an opportunity to do that in a community that really needs it. Amen. I um I want to show you a video on what it's like and I'm going to sh- frame this up. Many of you may have seen this. Um I finally saw it and it touched me, but what touched me about this is the power of a God talent and I believe it was a talent given by God because it could be nothing less. And the tremendous amount of humility that came with that God talent because that's the way it ought to be for all of us. 
and it was demonstrated in a child. If you could show that video. You know what I saw in that? I saw each of us. God has put within each of us a talent and ability that is absolutely amazing. Not so we can go out and tell everybody, look at my talent and ability, but to humbly demonstrate it in such a way that is awesome. That's coming to him as a child. Not coming to him only broken so that we can be fixed, but also coming and saying, hey, let me show you what I want to do for you, Jesus. And demonstrating that in such a way that is awesome. I love how at the end, how innocent and humble she was about it. We can learn so much from children. What is it that God has put in you? Do you know? Have you spent time seeking that out and trying to understand what that is? Sometimes the finding it is, isn't sitting, it's doing. The activity sometimes in finding it is actually putting my hand to something and seeing if that works. I don't know if I'm good at it unless I try. Luke 18, verse 17, reminds us everything we put our hands to, though, I want you to think about doing it as a child. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God is like a child who never entered and who will never enter it. Whoever, let me read it again. Let, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Humility. That's my point for today. Humility. Humility is not sackcloth and ashes, although there is some of that in it. It's not, woe is me, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. No, that's not. If you're truly a believer in Christ, you're not that. You are a saint. I mean, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You've been equipped to be children of God. That's not so humility isn't poor, dirty old me. Humility is I know who I am in Christ. He is Christ. He is God. I am not. I'm his child. And I'm not going to go around telling people I'm God. I'm not going to go around telling myself I'm God. Humility. The reason Luke, in this passage, puts it here, and, I, and I'll read it again. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Exclamation point. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. 
Again, I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Even coming to church, I'm going to a birthday party today to celebrate two young boys that have a birthday, right? You think they're excited right now? Why? Because it's a celebration. What's church on Sunday supposed to be? A celebration. So when I come to church on Sunday, do I go anticipating, oh, I'm going to church. I wonder what goodie bags they have for me. I mean, it should be that way. Because we're going to come together and we're going to celebrate something that's more exciting than a birthday. We're going to celebrate life and life eternal. But there has to be an innocence and a humility about it. The reason Luke placed the short section here is to follow up on the message that was previous to that. But, but Jesus had taught that it was necessary to be humble before God. He compared that humility to childlikeness. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In these words, Jesus was stating that, that a person must come to him in humility in order to enter the kingdom. Children come with expectation and excitement. That's the humility. They come realizing that they are not sufficient in themselves. That's humility. They depend totally on others. That's humility. If these same attitudes are not present in adults, they can never enter into the kingdom of heaven. What are those attitudes? It's realizing, first of all, or, or at first, it's it's knowing that we should come with expectation and excitement. And we should realize that we're not sufficient in and of ourselves and that we must depend on others. That's why church is a collective thing and not a solo act. If God intended us to live a life with Him alone, Adam and Eve would have been it. Actually, Adam would have been it. But we were created to be in community. And in that community, he's placed children for not just us to raise and train up, but for also, as a reminder, I believe, for you and for I, that they've figured out the humility. And we can look to them as a perfect example of that. I'm excited. This is going to be a good summer. I'm excited for the fall when we kick off our children's program. And with intentionality, we, we do all we can to train them up. We do all we can so they can experience His presence. That, that's what we as a church are working hard at doing. And when I say we, I mean us. We're doing all we can to make this a place where experiencing God is an everyday occurrence for our children and for you and for I. The worship team could come. This is a vision I want you to catch for our children. Now, Joel wrote this, and he was 
prophetically speaking in the Old Testament about what was to come. And today we get to live in that time that has come. But it says in Joel 2.28, Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all, say all, all people. Even the ones you don't think are capable. Pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I look forward to our children prophesying. And I, he wasn't necessarily being age-specific. But I believe that there's an innocence where the gifts of the Spirit can move in our children. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And then in Acts 2.39, it says, This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. It wasn't just for a few. It was for all, including our children. As we close the service in this time of worship, earlier that there is that, that scripture that talks about cutting off your hand and cutting off your foot and plucking out your eye or gouging out your eye. I don't have any knives or anything up here where we're going to be doing that. That's that not what we're doing here. We don't do that kind of thing. But I understand the, the spirit of the word, and the spirit of the word is this, and that is those things that are keeping you from being able to be who you need to be in Christ need to be set apart from you. Not something that's a part of you that's ignored, but set apart from you to the point where it's severed from your life. Christ and the work that he did at the cross is able to separate you from those things that keep you from being humble and being that child of God.